May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. As you've heard me say in the announcements, that we are entering into what is probably known as the season of vestry. It's not a liturgical tide, but it is something that sort of runs parallels every year, uh, which is a very insignificant part of our calendar. And as I've mentioned, this will be the first uh, in-person vestry for two years. The last one we had was just before COVID, and things have uh, changed significantly since then. And um, and it's interestingly, if you would have picked up that the readings themselves, in a subtle way, allude to the fact that we are, as a people of God, admonished and encouraged to participate in the ministry of Jesus. Uh, and we've had the celebration of his baptism and then the presentation of our Lord coming up. And so there's sort of a... A, a very subtle but clear indication of the commencement and the looking forward to, to the future and ministry in the church. And the big question always in terms of vestry and looking ahead is a bit about, about casting vision. Looking at the strategic ways of governance in our church, but the theology that undergirds it. And there's a clear invitation within this that the theology, the scriptures, is an invitation to reimagine what church is and what the world can become through the church. And therefore, even this morning's readings, the call of Jeremiah speaks of that hope. And it's, it's often said that being a prophet is that you, you act in a, a counter-cultural way. And that notion of being countercultural seems in this current day and age to become less valid. Within postmodernism, as things are becoming increasingly pluralistic, and to the extent that it be is becoming anarchic, there is nobody who can be perceived as being countercultural. Because what does it truly mean? If you are uh, opposed to vaccinations or for vaccinations, how is that going along with the culture? And there's various truth claims within the society in which we live in. And so this very notion in postmodernism of what it means to be culturally appropriate uh, seems to have no absolute. In this completely diversified, increasingly pluralistic world that's just moving faster and faster. And I think it becomes even more fundamental if we say that we are called to certain, to certain vocations. Because how and what truth do you find within that? And therefore, God being the primal speaker is the one who then we look to in order to take away our fear. And therefore, God is the primal utterer, the one who speaks words and it forms and comes into action and creates a reality for us. Jeremiah, as a young person, is, has the ability to deconstruct certain notions of worldview and to reconstitute it into something that is other. And here Jeremiah stands and he refrains the words of Moses saying, I am just a youth. 
I've got such inadequacies in terms of my vocal and speaking abilities. And he's looking towards God, and God then transfers his consciousness onto Jeremiah's in order to speak through him, creating new forms of views and realities. But this understanding of the prophetic role of Jeremiah as a young person has at least two streams of interpretations. And so the one I would like to share with you is this notion that Jeremiah may well stand as the archetypal young person. And there's a certain critique about that against ageism and the, sometimes the discrimination against young people and children. And Jeremiah seems to be in a perpetual conflict with the preceding generation. And we think about the intergenerational conflict that is ensuing in our postmodern world right now. For one, there is increasing climate anxiety among young people. There is a real sense of deterioration in mental well-being amongst people. And I know that we are living in a time when we are more conscious of it, as opposed to previous generations. And so I don't want to um, say that previous generations had it better off than the current generations. But there seems to be more and more pressure through things like social media and the various peer pressure that that brings. That is definitely deteriorating mental well-being, perhaps faster than expected. And therefore, when we appreciate the intergenerational conflict in every period of time, there is some schools of thoughts that are advocating that the conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. Because in the parental-child relationship, resistance is needed from the child in order to develop a sense of self. Children ought really to push the boundaries. They ought not always to be as obedient as we would like them to be. They should show resistance, because in that they form a sense of their, their sense of willpower and the ability that will help them later on as an adult in a world that is not kind always, and that is not necessarily out to support the individual. But there's a very fine balance then. If you are to encourage um, your child a certain measure of resistance, you have to, in, in the first place, set out a few rules. And of course you're going to set out a few rules because you are going to want to transfer certain values, traditions, knowledge and information to your child. In fact, without that, your child will in itself not survive in this world. And in fact, this is one of the building stones of the formation and development of civilizations and society. But this line that we have to walk on is that how far do we go before psychological harm is induced? Before the child and the young person is damaged irreparably for the rest of their lives. Some psychologists and social, social community psychologists would argue and say, well, there will in fact always be harm, which speaks perhaps into the original sin and the brokenness of our society. But is it a bad thing or a good thing? The argument is that perhaps there is no such thing as a perfect parent. We will always have a sense of brokenness 
But out of that comes the improvement and the continuous strive for development and growth. On the other hand, the interpretation will may be is that it's not necessarily the archetypal young person at play here in the narrative of the prophet Jeremiah. But in fact, truly, because Jeremiah and the narrative can't control all objective things, it is in fact that God then does transfer God's consciousness onto Jeremiah, the prophet. And Jeremiah receiving this ecstatic, perhaps, insight into the mind and visions of God, then speaks forth as the mouth of God a reality, and then becomes this vessel, this vessel that seeks out a better and more just world, a world that has to be inherited by the next generation. And so the question may be, is Jesus perpetually the embodiment of a young person? Is God the perpetual embodiment of a young person? Is God putting the vision of a future unfolding generation, unfolding future in the minds of a generation that is to come? Bearing in mind, you all were young at one stage and still are. And so, if we are to receive, if Jeremiah is to receive the consciousness of God, perhaps then we can transfer our own consciousness onto God. Because ultimately the, the aim of the consciousness of God is to create a utopian sense of heaven, of a world where there is salvation, peace. Because take it for Jeremiah in his life. The world that he inhabits is one of a period that he would rather not want to live in. He's often regarded as the weeping prophet. And his own life ends in obscurity and ambiguity outside of his home country, someplace in captivity. He becomes this person who disdains his very existence in the period in which he lives. And perhaps many of us are living in a time where we'd, we'd say, I wish I had not lived through this pandemic. I speak to parishioners, and especially some of the older people, tell me, now in our old age, when we have so little time left, time is robbed from us to spend with family, with friends, to travel, to go overseas, and we're stuck. And we had not envisaged and hoped that life would turn out this way. And perhaps young people are saying, so much is taken away from us, in other aspects, whether it be in schooling or in hopes of developing careers or whatever. And this anxiety is definitely in this period that we would rather not want to live in. But if we are to confront the social issues and the issues of climate and all the rest, and we want to create a perfect world, there's inevitably going to be some form of discrimination. One thing may be, well, is the notion of population control and how pressure and the pressure puts on the planet on which we live on. And that in itself is not just in a straight trajectory. There's areas where population is, is above uh, expected rates and below. And where would you want that to be in order to build a perfect society? And so all of these are not necessarily in 
in sync in terms of what the most uh, just and fair way ought to be. And, and whilst we are looking for this utopian world, bearing in mind that we've just said that it could well be that God wants to create this, this perfect world in transferring his consciousness onto us and through the prophets, we have the sense of denial of the things uh, around the spirit. There's a sort of de rationalistic denial that people become these vessels of supernatural beings, that they are indeed the chosen and the called ones. And yet, there's so much in it in pop culture that we sort of tend to defer to notions of superstition and referring to how fate is governing our lives. And if we are to think rationally about this and we want to then transfer ourselves into a world that is perfect, maybe it would get to a stage where we ought to experience eternal life, the perfect utopian world, by transferring our consciousness the day when we die, solving the problem of overpopulation onto some kind of metaverse world where you were to transfer your thoughts and your existence onto a computer system, that you will be a mind without a body. And perhaps if we're going to do that and not just control population in the future of those who would then eventually die, but when, why not then start already with young people? Why not transfer consciousness at the state at the time of birth? And therefore, all humans live in the metaverse, into this kind of matrix where your memories and your existence is uploaded to a system controlled by artificial intelligence that has your best interests at heart. And truly, it will be a world without war, without the threat of one country invading another one, without corrupt politicians, without diseases, and without the anxiety that this changing climate brings. And if this is the world that we want to live by, the consciousness that we can then transfer ourselves into, how will it succeed? In fact, will it? Bearing in mind all the confluencing matters and issues around politics, power, and even capitalism. And therefore, the issue of love that we hear from 1 Corinthians seems to be the paradigmatic concept that balances it all out. Because firstly, it says that nothing has purpose without love. Love gives the sense of meaning. You can't do anything. You are nothing. Everything you say and speak, your very consciousness will be without being if you have at the center of it this notion of love, which gives a rather important role then for religion and again for the role of God and for God's consciousness to guide some kind of balancing act here. The balancing act between the conflict of various generations. And so these two interpretive streams then confluence in understanding that love and God as the personification of that love is the way of bringing balance and some measure of peace in this intergenerational conflict. And that, like the writer in the final verses of that beautiful chapter in Corinthians says, that I was once a child, but now that I have love, I, 
I can see things differently, I can experience things differently. And then one day, I won't see dimly, I will see clearly. And so there is, in fact, the onus of the older generation, perhaps, to transcend their knowledge and their traditions onto the younger so that they can indeed build civilizations. And this seems to be the balance. This seems to be the way to go forward and experience salvation. The consciousness of God as love. And this brings me back to this idea of vestry. And how, how ought we then to live and do and go about vestry this year? It reminds me of something a bit about uh, my grandfather. He said that, you know, during, during his life, during his time, corporal punishment was still very much part of the system. And he would say, well, you shouldn't beat children. You should give them condensed milk. And maybe that's an analogy and a metaphor for how we ought to do vestry. But in a sense, an understanding that there is a theology that undergirds the governance of this, of this church. And I know that the church is not perfect. There's many issues that we have to address. And yet there is the inspiration and the admonition that there ought to be an intergenerational church of love bringing the balance and inspiring an understanding that, that there are people among us here who's got the capabilities, who can act as the analysts of the raw data given about the management of this congregation, of this parish, of the trends of this year and the preceding years and the years before, and how does that then uh, get managed in order to sustain the common good for a future one, for a future generation. There's a theology that underpins our management and that therefore gives it so much greater meaning, so much greater that we are sent in order to serve. In times of famine, in times of disease, Elijah and Elisha were sent to the other, to the one who was discriminated against. And they brought this cohesion of the intent of God, this love, so that there's a theology that sustains the various generations as, trans, as knowledge is transferred. And as Jeremiah was consecrated, so may you be for this purpose of serving. Serving with the understanding that God is the impetus as we work towards the common good of this congregation, of this parish, in the, bigging, in the bigger picture of building civilization. And so there's an invitation. Will you serve? As the nominations open by next week, will you come forward and say, I'm prepared to give of my talents, of my time, of my, of my resources, in order to build civilization in this intergenerational manner. May it be an exciting time that we're all looking forward to. Amen.